Get fast access to breaking news by signing up now to Black Press Media's free newsletters and stay informed with all the latest news delivered directly to your inbox. You'll have access on any device so you never have to miss out again on the information you need to know. Welcome to Off the Page, a weekly podcast by the Comox Valley Record. I'm Erin Halischuk, a journalist with The Record. Join me as we take a deeper look at the people and stories in the Comox Valley. Well, today on the podcast, we have Paul Berry, who is the president and search manager of Comox Valley Search and Rescue. And he's been involved in hundreds and hundreds of searches, not only locally, but within the province as well. So welcome to the podcast, Paul. Thank you. It's great to be here. Appreciate you guys. Most people know you throughout the Comox Valley as the manager through Search and Rescue and even in your retired career as part of the school district as well. And looking back on your work, what was it about uh, safety and Search and Rescue that really interested you enough to do this as a career? I, I think it began early on in my teaching. My first employment was with Vancouver and West School District in Tassis. And not long after beginning there, there was a significant tsunami warning. And I I watched how the community and the school reacted to that with people evacuating the community and and going to far-flung different directions and felt that it was something that needed to be looked at in a different way so that there was a more uh, pre-planned and coordinated response to that. And so that was really the genesis. And then once I got established here in in the Comox Valley, I felt that I wanted to be able to give back to the community and and just manage to to bump into some people from Search and Rescue. And it seemed like a, a good fit for me. And obviously, to be a part of a team like that, you have to have an interest in the outdoors and and obviously pretty active as well. What was your background like growing up? Were you always interested in the outdoors or is that something that kind of developed? Yeah, we were a family that was very active. I had a, a career in the Army Reserve as well, so I spent a lot of time outdoor in a, in a variety of environments. Backcountry uh, skiing, cross-country skiing, hiking were, were things that I did a lot. And you mentioned that you bumped into someone and, and that's sort of how your transition into the team began. For somebody who might be interested in joining Search and Rescue, I can't imagine how difficult it must be to maintain a core group of volunteers. How do you grow your team and what do you really look for if somebody says, I think I might be interested in joining, but I don't know if I have the right skills or backgrounds for that? Well, well, certainly if people come to us with skills, first aid training, good backcountry navigation skills, that's all a bonus for us. However, it's not a requirement. We take individuals, no matter what skill set they have, if they have the equipment, and if they present to us as someone who's willing to work as a, as a member of a team, because it is a very tight-knit organization that uh, you're working in difficult conditions over you know, in stressful times, team building and someone you can rely upon and trust is really what we're looking for most. Uh, but we do see more and more of the individuals who are coming to us come with a good broad background in backcountry travel and camping and hiking and, and so on. How has COVID affected you both in terms of just the regular practice that I know you guys do, but then also when you are tasked to go on a certain event, has it affected you directly? It has, and it, it, it's been a challenge and, and a roller coaster because as the different variants have 
come and gone. We've relaxed protocols and then we've added uh, stricter protocols back on. Certainly, uh, we're very careful. Everyone who is currently on the team and operational is required to be fully vaccinated. Those members who are not or choose not to be have either voluntarily taken a leave or they continue to participate in, in training, but not in operations. And we can mitigate many of the risks during our training opportunities, many of which have gone to online training. But during operations, when you're having to operate in a helicopter or in close confines or coming into face-to-face -face contact with the subjects that we're serving, then it becomes more of a challenge. And so we had to make that very difficult decision. And you mentioned you started your career up north and you participated in searches all over the province. In terms of the Comox Valley, how does the terrain specifically and the geography, does it present more of a challenge to the team or, or is it any different from any other area of the province? I think we would be comparable to the lower mainland and the uh, Sea to Sky Corridor where alpine terrain, backcountry terrain is very accessible to the the general population. And so people can leave their homes and be in the backcountry very, very quickly. I think one of the bigger challenges for us is that there is a belief that technology cell coverage in particular is available throughout our area of operations. And the reality is it, it is not and is very intermittent throughout, particularly throughout Strathcona Park. And so people rely on their phones, uh, both for communications and for navigation, and it seems that the trend is that when, when individuals do run into difficulty, they usually run into difficulty when they're just on the boundary of some sort of coverage, so it's weak, and their phone is just about to run out of power. And I know a few years ago, there was a little bit of a name change with search and rescue, and it used to be called Comox Valley Ground Search and Rescue, and the ground got formally removed out of the name. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Why was the name change so important? I think it's part of renewal. It's part of the good, healthy reflection on who we are and where we're going in the future. But more importantly, I, I think it, the, the new name, just with, without the ground, reflects the work that we do. Well, the reality is that we do much of our work. Uh, we're responsible for inland waters, so lakes and rivers, as well as ground. And then much of our work now is done through air operations, through helicopter hoist rescue or air insertion. And so we just wanted to better reflect the diversity of what we do. Just speaking of all of the facets that's involved in a rescue, looking back at your career, specifically in the Valley, do you have one or two operations that really stand out in your mind in terms of either being the most challenging or just really satisfying or something that just really, really made an impression on you? That's a really good question. I do think that probably my first operation as a, a brand new member has had the most lasting and impactful impression for me. And that was an individual who had uh, suffered a, a significant lower leg, multiple fractures up on the Glacier Trail. And I was fortunate to be one of the very first members on the initial insertion team who hiked up the switchbacks on the trail to reach this individual. We got to them just before dark and realized because of the nature of the injury and some concerns about circulation in the leg, uh, we needed to get them out quickly. 
so we started clearing a, a landing area for helicopter we we're going to need to use 442 or that was our hope at the same time we always operate on multiple operations so we had ground, many ground teams coming in as well as darkness settled over the area and i looked back down the switchbacks down below us for as far as the eye could see there was these little pinpricks of light and it was search members from all up and down the island who were responding because we knew to get this man down the mountain was going to take dozens and dozens of searchers to be able to carry him. It did turn out that we were able to get a clearing in the weather and the helicopter was able to get in, but it just spoke to me how so many uh, of these professional search volunteers dropped everything to help someone they don't know at any time of the day or night. And that is the community that is Search and Rescue in British Columbia. It's, a, it's an amazing group of men and women in every community. I think there are now 80 teams, almost 3,000 SAR volunteers. CanadianEvergreen.com is your trusted news source for all things green, offering up-to-date news and stories from Canada's booming cannabis industry, content you can trust from Black Press Media. And they take the job seriously particularly in a community like the Comox Valley, where everybody is very intertwined. And there's, I'm sure a lot of members know a ton of community members. When there is a search and it involves somebody that perhaps one of the SAR members knows directly or through somebody else, how does that affect the team? Like, how do you separate yourself as a searcher if you're searching for somebody that you know either directly or indirectly? It can be a really difficult challenge, and, and we've certainly had many experiences over over the last number of years where that has been the case. And at times, particularly if it's someone in a leadership position, they've had to, to remove themselves from that leadership position so that their emotion and their emotional connection to the individual doesn't get in the way. And so others step in. But other times you do the work that you need to do in a professional manner and then deal with the emotions afterwards. And, and we do have a very good support network within the SAR community in, in BC to help us deal with those difficult emotional and, and personal situations. And I'm sure the same applies in terms of when you get the call for either a rescue or a recovery mission. Do you prepare mentally for those differences or as the situation changes is there a mental shift when you know the difference between rescue or recovery yes and i think that is the, the key to being emotionally healthy and strong in the midst of these operations we try to know each other really well and to know those who have maybe have endured a, a lot of uh, difficult situations and dealt with a lot of tragic situations over a period of time. And we will try to make sure that they are not the ones who are in the front line dealing with those situations. I do believe it makes it not easier, but it, it helps the process of rationalizing and coming to terms with the situation if you have a good sense prior to going in what it is you're dealing with. For you personally, do you have a favorite place that you go, whether it's after a really hard rescue, a really hard search, or just on your own free time? Is there a favorite hike or a favorite space or area in the Comox Valley that you particularly enjoy yourself? I'm really fortunate that uh, I live very close to Seal Bay Park. I think that my gift is that I, I can get into a trail 
and be surrounded by that green space. Just me and the dog, and we will get on a trail for hours sometimes. And it's just that quiet serenity to be alone with your thoughts and to, to refresh and renew. And I very much find that uh, that's a, a place that's special for me. Currently, you, in terms of search and rescue, are housed in a certain area of Courtney, but the space isn't quite working for your needs. And I know there's a current campaign underway to get a new facility for search and rescue. Can you talk a little bit about what is the ultimate goal for the organization? I mean, the ultimate goal is to have a permanent home and a permanent base of operations for the team. We're really very much like a small fire department. We have the need to have all of our vehicles stored inside in warm and dry conditions because of the nature of our equipment, which is getting more technically advanced and more expensive. So we we are looking to, to reduce the burden of the uncertainty of rent and lease costs, which are significant for us, well over $8,000 a month. And for a group like us, who is a nonprofit society, it's a, a big burden. So we are looking to either purchase and remodel the building that we're currently in, or to find or have land donated and to build a building. We learned last month that we are not eligible for provincial capital grants because to buy a building here, uh, it's going to cost us more than $1.2 million. Uh, so we're looking at probably in the $1.25 to $1.5 million to either build or buy a, a small facility. That's above the threshold of $1.2 for the province. So right away, we're in the hole by $250,000 where in other jurisdictions could apply for those grants. So we're looking at raising one. million in this quest to have a permanent home. We are engaged in a significant fundraiser, probably the largest that this team will ever face, so that we can have a permanent home that is our own, that we're not paying a mortgage on, that we're not worrying about lease rates. And so we have a campaign called uh, Roofs for Rescuers. Uh, People can donate to it, but we're somewhere in the $300,000 range which is a long way from 1.5. So our target is to to try and either build or purchase the, the site we're currently in by the end of the summer of 2023. Thank you so much, Paul. I know you're probably one of the people that everybody sees, but hopefully never has to see. And that's a compliment. Yes, I hear that a lot. <laughs> I can imagine. Thank you so much for taking the time. Really appreciate it. That's this edition of Off the Page, produced by the Comox Valley Record. From hidden local hotspots to outrageous wildlife rescues and trend-setting hotels, westcoasttraveler.com shares the latest travel news from your local community and beyond. Travel the spectacular west coast of the U.S. and Canada without leaving your armchair and start taking notes for your next adventure. Make your next vacation or staycation the best it can be. Visit westcoasttraveler.com.